Colossians 2, 6 to 15. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all, all fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Well, many of us have come here today, uh, those of us in here and perhaps in the theatrette as well. Uh, they've come here for a or several baptisms. And all I want to share with you this morning in this short message is that if you come here to celebrate a baptism, you perhaps unknowingly have actually come here to celebrate a death. And this might shock you. This might be more than you bargained for. You came here for a sprinkling, a dash, and maybe even a splash, but death... But here's the thing. The idea of death is so deeply ingrained, intertwined with the act of baptism that you actually can't have one without the other. It's like trying to think of swimming without thinking of water. You see it in Colossians 2, that little passage, the little letter that wrote, Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to a church in Colossae. He says this in verse 11 and 12. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Like, like circumcision before, baptism is about putting off, about cutting away. But unlike in circumcision and baptism, it's not some, not a part, but all of us. All of us are buried with Christ in baptism. But why, why is that the case? Uh, and to, to put it more sharply today, uh, given we're doing some children, some children are being baptised, why do they need to metaphorically, or perhaps better put, metaphysically, need to kind of perish? I think that is a perplexing idea. I think that's a noxious idea to many. Well, the key is Paul's language, ruled by the flesh. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, must be slayed. See, when we hear the word flesh, I think, my guess is we think of someone speaking about 
physical things, physicality. But for the Apostle Paul, the flesh is something altogether different. And I think you won't understand the New Testament, you won't understand Paul if you don't get your head around this, I don't think. See, for Paul, the, the flesh, it's like a, a power or a force. It's in us, but it's also outside of us. We live in it, and it lives in us. It's a force that stands opposed to God. It is the, the, the spirit of unrighteousness, of wickedness aligned against God's holiness. And it's not an abstract thing. You can see it concretely in the world around us. It's the human kind of impulse towards dominance, to control. It's the push to sacrifice others for the sake of our own pleasure. It's the drive to, to succeed, to build, to destroy, to burn. It's ego, it's humiliation, it's beauty, twisted, it's pain, sword. It's the pulsating life force, the urge of a world arrayed against God. It is, now it's partly explained by our own evil hearts. It is behavioral, it is habitual, it is psychological. But there's something deeper and darker at work. There are malevolent, cruel forces at work. Their names pop up throughout the Bible, and you see that in, in this letter in Colossians in chapter 2. In verse 8, Paul calls them elemental spiritual forces of this world. Then in verse 15, he calls them the powers and authorities. And then in verse 20, he calls them elemental spiritual forces once again. This is some, not all, but some of Paul's words that he uses to capture these malign, malevolent, evil powers. And again, if you're new to church, this might strike you as exceedingly odd. And yet I want to say it's also deeply intuitive. Intuitively, we know that we are more than matter. We know that we are more than chemicals that bounce. That there is good and evil beyond understanding. We feel it in our skin, in our guts. It's the only way to explain the desolation and the beauty of the world before us. And Paul says that those evil forces... They conspire, they collude with our own innate sinfulness, and together they form a magnetic and irresistible fleshly power. And again, this is not abstract, this is concrete. We see it in the chains of our addiction, our self-destructive habits, the lies we can't get rid of, our selfishness, our judgmentalism, our inability to be the people we know we're meant to be. You see, the darkness of this world, is, 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 it's not just people being people. It is that, but it's so much more than that. And we see these dark forces not only in paganism and demonic possession, but they're there in the desolation and destruction of pornography, drug addiction, alcoholism, in our own dark addictions. Yes, you see the darkness in the bones of the witch doctor, but you see it in the backlit screen that sucks the soul of your child, the poisoned tongue of the gossip, the smoldering rubble of relationships ruined by self-righteousness, recrimination, and self-protection. And we're so ensnared by these forces. 
So tightly are their tendrils coiled around us. They're like a parasite that has become so deeply embedded in its host that you cannot kill the one without the other. You cannot kill the one without the other. And and God knows this. He knows that in order for us to be rescued, to be saved from this power of darkness of the flesh, from this world, we, whether man or woman, young or old, we, we actually need to die. And that's what happens in the waters of baptism. That's what it pictures us taking the flesh so deeply entwined in our soul that we can't get rid of it, we take it to the grave with us. But it's not a hopeless death. Baptism is a celebration after all. Today is a joy-filled day because we don't die alone. We are buried with Christ. Those waters picture us sharing a grave with him, but we also therefore share the power of his death. The death that conquered those evil forces, that same death that removes the stain of guilt and shame, the death that moved heaven and earth to bring us back to God. It's not despairing because this death does not end in decay. It ends in glory and hope because Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again, and so do we. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. Yes, you go down into those waters, but you don't stay down there. You come out. Christ raises us from the dead. So coming to us today, those people coming forward for baptism, or the majority, those people bringing their children to be baptised, they're making a declaration. They are saying, we are powerless under the weight of the flesh and sin. We need our guilt and our shame removed. We've scrubbed, but we can't keep scrubbing. We know our kids can't scrub it out. We need to be buried with the flesh so that we might rise in the spirit. And as you look at our world, which pulsates, which brims with anxiety, with pressure, with expectation, with angst and enmity, baptism is a beautiful symbol of Christ's antidote. You see, baptism is the opposite of a fleshly world driven by greed and selfish gain, pride, power, sex, and savagery. Because the world that you and I inhabit, it screams, do, do, do. And yet, it's never done. And yet, in baptism, Christ comforts us with the words, done, done, done. The flesh screams, compete, compare. You will never be good enough. But Christ whispers to us, you are forever good enough before God because of me. The flesh says, feed your pride, let others be ashamed so that you might be raised up and glorified. And yet Christ says, 
you might now share in my shame, in my humiliation. It never is, it never was, and it never will be called to be a Christian. But one day you will share in the glory I've won for you. The flesh says, you're right, they're wrong, never back down. Christ says, die to your arguments, your self-righteousness. Let yourself be wronged. Because you share in my death, you share in my vindication, my resurrection. And our world today, perhaps more than ever, screams, fight tooth and nail, build your portfolio, build your bucket list. But in the waters of baptism, Christ shouts, I've won for you, brother, sister, child, I've won for you an internal inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept in heaven for you. You don't need to fight. You don't need to argue. You don't need to compete. You don't need to win. You don't need to conquer. You just need to rest in what I've done. As we close, parents, teach your children that it's not about do, it's about done. It's not about a life filled with ambition and pursuit of glory. It's about Christ's glory. It's not about your child proving themselves to you or to a watching world. It's in Christ you're proved more than you could ever be on your own. Notice this is not a call to passivity. As Christians, you're swimming against the stream all the time. We're not plankton, we're Atlantic salmon. There will be a fight Although you've died to the flesh, it still clings, it still bites, it still grabs, it still sucks you in. Our children, my children, will be wooed and sometimes won by the world out there. But the answer to our children is not, you must try harder. You must prove yourself to be a good Christian. You see, if you say that to your child, they'll just become arrogant, prideful, and self-righteous if they exceed, and if they fail, they'll become ruined and ashamed. Now, the, the, the answer, beautifully put on the words, or rather beautifully said on the lips of the great reformer Martin Luther, is, child, remember your baptism. Remember your old self buried with Christ, and that by him you were raised in the power of the Spirit to a new life. A life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not because you have to, but because that's who you are. As a dead and buried, now raised, brother of Christ, son of our Heavenly Father, and sharer in the Holy Spirit. I'm now going to close with some words, a prayer from that great reformer himself, Martin Luther. Please join me in prayer. Almighty and eternal God, who through the flood, according to your righteous judgment, condemned the unfaithful world, and according to your great mercy, saved faithful Noah, even eight persons, and has drowned hard-hearted Pharaoh with his army, 
You that lead your people through dry grounds, who point to the baptism we partake of. Who through the baptism of your dear child, our Lord Jesus Christ, has sanctified and set apart the Jordan and all water for a saving flood, an ample washing away of sins. We pray that through your same infinite mercy, you would graciously look down upon your child and bless her with the right faith in the Spirit, so that through this saving flood, all was born in her from Adam and all which was added thereto might be drowned and submerged, and that she may be separated from the unfaithful and preserved in the holy ark of the church, dry and safe, and may be ever fervent in spirit and joyful in hope to serve your name so that she with all the faithful may be worthy to inherit your promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.